welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. When blank happens. We've been talking a lot about what goes in that blank these last several weeks. And if you've been with us kind of through this series, um, or if you're just joining us today, um, it's, it's, um, it's a very intuitive and experiential and universally true um, thing that inevitably we will face pain, suffering, grief, tragedy, loss, trauma of some kind. Whether that's something in the past or something in the present or something you see coming, whether it's something physical, emotional, mental, um, spiritual, relational, that things like that happen in our lives. Maybe they're earthquake events, or maybe they're a whole bunch of little things. Or they're things that are happening to people we love. And so we are in it with them because blank has happened. And we said that one of the results of that is that it plunges us into wrestling with God through our pain and suffering, because in addition to the experiential uh, struggle of pain and suffering in our own lives are the existential, theological, philosophical questions that we have for God, to God, about why and when and how long and how come you aren't and when is this going to change and what about that and how come them but not me, right? All of those things we wrestle with. And can I just say, like, I'm just so thankful for the community that God has given us here at The Well. I'm so thankful for all of you um, being able to read your posts and your reflections as we've been reading through the book of Job at the start of our um, kind of Bible reading plan through the wisdom literature, a book about suffering, and just seeing your reflections and um, your questions and your prayers has been such an encouragement to me, talking with many of you um, during through the series and the different topics, and when we heard from Catherine Wolf uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and just your, uh, your wrestling, but your, your hope and your faith, and, um, and, and the humility that so many of you have shown, and that you know, I feel I'm trying to learn is like realizing, man, I've done this so wrong when it comes to walking with others. There's things I need to change or things I need to stop doing, things I need to learn how to do that I don't really know how. And if you're new to our community of faith, I just want to <laughs> encourage you, and I'm just saying this because I'm the pastor, this is a good community. This is a, a safe community, a humble community, a place where you can um, not have to wrestle and journey through this alone. And, and so I hope that's been a reminder for you in these days. And if you are new, that you'd say, hey, maybe this is a place where I can journey through what I'm going through. Now, we've talked, in a sense, about the, the results of, of the pain and suffering being wrestling with God, but there's something else that, as we come to the end of this series and these conversations, that we have to talk about before we move on. Um, some other things that can occur when we go through pain and suffering that are not very good. <laughs> and just to say it this way, when blank happens, something else blank can happen as well. Right When pain and suffering and trauma and tragedy and loss happen, some other things can happen as a result. And these are just a few of the things I came up with. Bitterness, cynicism, numbness, despair, addiction, fear, 
I mean, maybe we could put our heads together and come up with a longer list, but these are things that can happen. The results, like when the, um, the inevitable aspects of pain and suffering and trauma and tragedy and loss that happen in our lives, these other things like seem that they'll be inevitable as well. And, and maybe it's easier to see in other people, right? Where you've met people who have, if I can say it this way, have gone through something difficult and have become difficult people as a result. Where maybe it might be easier to see uh, that in others where you see like um, cynicism and you see bitterness, you see numbness, or you see despair in their hearts, or you see addiction that has grown as a result, or fear. And maybe if we're honest, we have seen and can see in our own lives when we've gone through our pain and suffering that the temptation for bitterness and cynicism and numbness and distraction and addiction and despair and fear to grow as well, it's a real thing. The possibility um, that because this is inevitable, pain and suffering in some shape or form, it, it almost seems like these other things, are they inevitable as well? And while you cannot, and we don't really have control over whether and when and how pain and suffering and loss and grief come into our lives, we'd say like that is inevitable and we don't have control over that. Is it possible to actually have control over and to choose whether or not bitterness, cynicism, numbness, despair, addiction, or fear are going to come in as well? If this is inevitable, how do we choose that this may not be? The answer to that um, is something that <laughs> if I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, no, no, like that's kind of sounds weak, VJ. Really, that's the answer. Like, how do we know that those things won't inevitably just result in our lives? The answer I'm going to give you is saying, oh, that's weak. That's not enough. That seems too wispy. That seems too... I don't know, uh, in concrete, insubstantial, it's not enough. That's not, is that really the answer? Is that the thing we can count on to make sure we don't end up becoming people who are bitter or cynical or numb or in despair or addicted or fearful? You ready for the answer? It's hope. You're like, no, no, that can't be the answer, right? I know why you feel like that. I mean, it does. It sounds weak. It sounds empty. It sounds like, well, I mean, we use the word to say, well, I hoped that something would happen. It's just sort of this vain, thin, you know, naive positivity that maybe this will end or maybe something will come back together or maybe this thing will be healed or maybe the, the story will take a better turn. And in fact, you might say that it, like, it gets conflated with words like faith and stuff. And like, if you just have enough faith or if you just have enough hope, like somehow faith, a hope is like this feeling or this quantity of, I don't know what, that I could conjure up in my spirit that would somehow change the future or the outcome or things that I can't control. That seems really weak. And in fact, you might say, hey, VJ, to be honest, I had hope and it's been crushed over and over and over again. So I don't have it anymore. I don't even know what it is, that is. I don't know how that could be the answer. But friends, it is. And here's what I mean. I don't mean that feeling is an answer. I don't mean that conjuring up some kind of inner confidence is an answer. I mean that Christian hope is the answer. And Christian hope is unique. It is different from any other kind of hope. Christian hope is certainty from God 
certainty from God that in the end, my story is good. Certainty. I don't even use the word confidence. I mean certainty as in, I know that I know that I know. It is a certainty. It's not based on a feeling. It is a certainty that comes from God, that I find in God, that in the end, my story is good. In the end, I can say, that was good. This is good. This story, my story, my life is good. It is a certainty from God. But how do we get that? How do we have that? How, how do we have that? If that's what hope is, that, that thing that would allow us to stay away from or keep bitterness and despair and addiction and, and fear, whatever, at bay, to not allow that to happen in my life as well when I go through pain and suffering. How could I have that kind of hope? How, how would that even happen? Well, I want to talk about actually what that certainty is based on, because Christian hope is based on, it is a certainty that comes from a foundation that is sure, that is certain, that is secure. And for that, I want to turn to one of the writers of the New Testament. We've been spending several weeks in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, but we're turning now to one of the most prolific writers of the second half of scripture, the New Testament. Um, and for his perspective on this certainty as we go through pain and suffering. And uh, his name is Paul, and he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament, a whole bunch of letters that he wrote to many groups of Jesus followers all over uh, Europe and Central Asia. And the reason we're turning to him is not because some traditions have called him an apostle, that he has the title apostle in front of his name, or some traditions have called him saint, <laughs> The reason we're turning to him is not because he was a, a very well-educated religious person. We're turning to him because he had a lifetime of experience with pain and suffering. And I want you to listen to um, just a few verses as he describes um, some of what he went through, in a sense, actually trying as for people who are saying, oh, well, what do you know about this? What gives you the right to speak to us? And then maybe we can say, oh, yeah, okay, what gives you the right to talk to me about my story and say that it might be good? Where, what, what have you been through? And I want you to listen to what he just describes his life, some of the things that he faced in his life just in a few verses. And this is from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23b to 27. And again, he's comparing himself to other people, so that's where you hear some of the language. He says, I've worked harder. I've, put in, I've been put in prison more often. In fact, we know he spent two and a half years in a prison cell and over two years under house arrest. So that's a long time, nearly five years in prison for crimes he did not commit. I've been whipped times without number. Like, I can't keep track of how many times I've been beaten and faced death again and again. Literally, he's not being poetic. If you read the rest of the story, you'll find a few times he was left for dead. Five different times the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, gave me 39 lashes. That was the punishment for people who were blasphemers, who were saying false things about God. And the people who would have been his friends had turned on him. And five different times he was punished by the religious synagogue. Uh, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, not the old-fashioned kind, not the new kind, like as in hit with stones. Three times, listen, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, like an entire 24 hours out on the open sea after a shipwreck. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles, non-Jews. 
I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Paul had a lot to fill in the blank of when blank happens. Poverty, hunger, injustice, abandonment and betrayal by friends, extreme physical pain, um, being on the run, having people who are against him, enemies constantly chasing him down, sleepless nights, attempted murder several times. I mean, this is a man who was familiar with a lot of that blank, a lot of pain, suffering, grief, loss, tragedy, trauma. We, we just read it in a few verses, but if you think about all of those things, not many people we know have faced that kind of pain in their lives. I mean, one of the things that it, it strikes me uh, about this and that we've talked about a bit in this is that he's not shy to be honest about his pain and suffering. He's not. He's not just saying, oh, you know, I've lived a pretty good life or God's been good to me. He says, no, I've gone through a lot of stuff, a lot of hard things that have left their marks physically and probably emotionally and mentally as well. And so I think this is something that we just need to continue to learn how to do as the community of faith. And some of us are learning to do this. Some of us are good at this. Some of us are terrible at this. And I mean, being honest with our pain in what we've been through. And so, again, if you're just jumping in new, and this is a, a new church for you or a new place, or you haven't been a part of this series, or if you have, I just want to stop and give us a couple of minutes, as we're trying to do every week, just to reflect on and to call to mind some of the things that you have been through, some of the parts of your story that have been painful or where there's been loss. And maybe that's in the past. Maybe it's recent weeks. Maybe it's right now, today. And, and the fear we have, we don't want to do it because we think, oh, that'll just be, that'll overcome me with negativity or um, that, that means I'm not grateful and I'm not looking at the bright side and, and none of that. I think if, if hope is real and gritty and certain, then we have to actually be real and gritty and certain and honest with our pain as well. So I just want to give you a couple of minutes and maybe it's just one thing that you're going to think about. Maybe it's a list you want to make in your head. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> you don't need to, but maybe you can take notes or whatever way that helps you to kind of make your own version of what Paul is describing as his suffering and his pain. So just take uh, just two minutes to do that now.
I think we can honestly say, certainly about Paul, but in some ways about ourselves too, that because of what we've gone through, we are potential candidates for also having bitterness, cynicism, numbness, despair, addiction, or fear happen as well. And yet, though the Apostle Paul was very honest and not dismissive about his pain, about his trials, about his struggles, about the tragedy, about the trauma, he had hope. And I want you to listen to his description of where that hope comes from. What is the basis for this hope? In fact, in one of his letters, he says, hey, we suffer just like everybody else. We suffer, but we do not suffer as those who have no hope. And so what was the basis of the Apostle Paul's hope? And what is the basis then of our hope? (laughs) The certainty that comes from God that in the end, my story is good. What is the basis of that hope? I want you to listen to actually his summary of that just a few chapters earlier in this same letter to the church in Corinth. That will become, hopefully for us today, the basis for our hope as well. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Again, we find the Apostle Paul here writing very honestly about his pain and suffering. He's not dismissive about it. He says, we have troubles everywhere. We're perplexed, right? Like we have questions we can't answer just like you do. Like that's the wrestling, right? We're perplexed. God, where, why, and how? Like he's worshiping and singing to the same God we were. Um, And he's perplexed as well. He says, we're hunted. We have enemies too. Not just trouble, but enemies. And we're knocked down. I mean, in his case, literally, but he's also speaking in a sense poetically, emotionally. We're, we're, we're beaten up and, and we get, yes, like we experience being knocked off our feet. He's honest about these things. But he's saying, but we have not lost hope. Listen, he says like, we're not crushed, right? And, and that's, a, that's, that's that perspective. Our hopes are not crushed. We're not driven to despair. We're not abandoned. We are not destroyed, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We're not destroyed. He says, we, uh, therefore, we never give up. Or one of your translations, and I think it's in verse uh, 16, uh, he says, we, uh, therefore, we do not lose heart. That's another way of saying we're not hopeless. 
We don't lose heart. These things happen. They don't crush us. We're not driven to despair. We don't give up. They don't steal our heart or our hope. How? How does he go through all of these things? And how is he encouraging us? And he's saying, we, like as a community of Jesus followers, you go through all this stuff. How do we go through this without having our hope crushed, without having our hearts <laughs> stolen, without bitterness and cynicism and despair and numbness and addiction and fear just taking over? He tells us the secret. It's in verse 17. He says this, we don't fix our eyes on the suffering. And, and that, that word, fix our eyes, or to see or look at, comes from the Greek word skopeo, which you might hear uh, the word scope in, right? It's where like, it's, uh, we get telescope, microscope, periscope. And, and it's this, the, the word skopeo means to, like, to tunnel in on, right? Or to, to um, stare at or magnify. That's what a, 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 a telescope tunnels in on something, right? So it fills that frame. A microscope makes something bigger, right? Like makes it big. So to stare at, to tunnel in on. He says, that's what the word scopeo means, to fix our eyes on something. But it also is the word to describe what a judge does. And listen, this is so important. What a judge does when they're hearing a case, right? When they're listening to the plaintiffs or the defendants or um, the, the, the accusations, the lawyers, the judge tunnels in on or fixes their eyes on the facts and then draws conclusions from what they're staring at and fixed on. And Paul says, we don't do that with our suffering. And yet, man, that is so easy to do, right? To, to when we go through the stuff we're going through, to tunnel in on it, to have it fill the frame, to be all that we see, to stare at it, to magnify it, where it becomes dominant, it dominates our lives, or to be like a judge that scrutinizes all of the details of our suffering and draws conclusions from it about God, about ourselves, about the world, about each other, right? This is so easy to do when we go through pain and suffering, especially stuff that is deep, that is very traumatic or leaves a deep wound or things that go on for a long period of time and seem to have no end or that take up a whole season, a whole chapter of our lives. It's almost impossible not to scope, not to like tunnel in on it, stare at it, let it become so big in our eyes or scrutinize it and draw conclusions about God and the world and ourselves from it. And so he says, don't do that. <laughs> and the reason is, he actually gives it in here. It's not because, hey, it's not real. Detach yourself from it. Paul is not a, uh, advocating sort of the Buddhist idea of getting just mentally kind of trying to get away from your suffering, right? He's real and honest about it. He's already listed a bunch of things. But the reason he says, don't fix your eyes on it, don't stare at it, don't let it become big. Why? He said, it's temporary. It's temporary. It's big. It dominates. It seems forever now, but don't let it become that way. Don't fix your eyes on it. Don't stare at it. Don't scrutinize and draw conclusions from it. Why? Because it's going to disappear one day. It's temporary. One day it won't be a part of your story anymore, so don't draw conclusions about God and about you and about your story from it. In fact, he says one day we'll look back at the pain. This is what he says in, like, in verse uh, 18. We'll look back and it will seem very small and very short-lived. 
which if this was anybody other than Paul, we'd say, how dare you? How dare you tell me that what I'm going through right now, what's threatening me, what I have lived with for years, or what seems to be on the attack for me, or what's happened to my body and in my life or in my story, how dare you say that it's short-lived or that one day I'll look back on it and seem small? The Apostle Paul, we know, was someone who had a world, a lifetime of pain. In fact, the only thing short-lived about Paul was his life. He died young. He was executed. After having gone through all the things that he said about being enemies and being left for dead several times and being shipwrecked and out in the open sea and being naked and hungry and cold and abandoned, he died young, executed under false pretenses by the same religious establishment and Roman Empire that had killed Jesus. And yet, how is he able to say, after going through all of that and knowing that he was probably going to end up killed, how could he say, one day, don't, you know, don't fix your eyes on this because it's temporary, and one day we'll look back and it'll seem small? <laughs> because he says, there's something else that we're meant to stare at. Something else that we're meant to scopeo, that's, that's meant to, um, that we're meant to scrutinize and draw conclusions from. There's something else we're meant to tunnel in on, to magnify, to put in the scope, the crosshairs of our eyes, to let it fill the frame. There's something else. And, he, and it's funny, it's a little bit of play on words. He says, fix your eyes on what is unseen. <laughs> Stare at the thing you can't see. <laughs> what does he mean by that? He said, instead of the, the thing we can see, which is our pain and our trouble and our trials, in our story that looks so broken and hard and difficult right now. Instead of staring at that, stare at something else you can't see, but which is eternal because the tragedy and trials and the pain is temporary. It will disappear. There's something else you should stare at because it is forever. What is it? It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says, this is the thing to fix your eyes on. Look what he says in verse 10. Through suffering... Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. He says there's something in the death and resurrection of Jesus that is a part of our story now. And if we are sharing in his sufferings, like he suffered and died, and we are also suffering and in many cases, suffering for the sake of Christ. That's what Paul was doing. He was sharing in his sufferings and was persecuted because he loved Jesus and was following Jesus. And for some of us, that is maybe the source of our pain where our families or friends or whatever have rejected us or make fun of us because of our beliefs or just that to stay following Jesus in these hard times is hard. It does more damage because the pain and wrestling. He's saying, hey, if we share in the sufferings of Jesus, we will also share in his life, he says, in our bodies. This is not some ethereal, non-physical. We make the mistake of thinking that it's something spiritual. We mean it's not physical. But that's not the writers of the New Testament's understanding of what it, spiritual is meant. He, he means that there's something we will experience of Christ actually in our bodies. Christian hope, in other words, is anchored in a fact. This is where the certainty, the basis of Christian hope is a fact the death and resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection. That is the thing he says we need to 
fix our eyes on. And you're like, oh, is that the Bible answer? Oh, <laughs> the answer is Jesus, his death and resurrection. But no, think about this for a moment. Let's do actually what Paul is saying for us to do. He's saying you need to tunnel in on, um, stare at, magnify, scrutinize the resurrection of Jesus. And what do, and so let's do that for a moment. What do we see when we actually stare at the resurrection of Jesus? We see a number of things that Paul says, if we're sharing in suffering, we're going to share in this too. Think about what the resurrection of Jesus shows us. What do we see? We see total healing of the body. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, he was completely healed, right? The last they had seen him, he was, his body was bloody and beaten from all of the flogging, the Roman lashes. His hands and sides were pierced and bleeding out, and he was dying on a cross and actually dying of suffocation because that's what crucifixion did. It was the most brutal, painful way to die. When they saw him, he was gasping for air and bleeding out and dead. After the resurrection, he was not gasping for air. He was not bleeding. He was completely healed, completely new. In fact, his body could do things it couldn't do before. He passed through doors. The resurrection body of Jesus was not a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. And he finally said, guys, can you just give me some fish so I'll eat so you know, like I'm consuming this food that you're eating? Ghosts don't eat, right? Because they couldn't believe that he actually was resurrected physically, that his body was completely made new because they had seen it so beaten up and so broken. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see total healing of the body. But we also see Jesus' ultimate victory over evil, right? It was evil that had crucified him. The work of the devil who had inspired his friends to betray him, the, the, the evil, jealous pride of the religious establishment that refused to see God in the flesh and refused to let go of their power and control and therefore um, had him condemned, the injustice and brutality of the Roman Empire that flexed his muscle and crucified him and went along with the injustice. That was all evil. <laughs> and Jesus' resurrection proved, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm stronger than that. None of those things could keep me down, could keep me dead. His resurrection proved the ultimate victory of good over evil. But we also see Jesus' shame turned into glory, right? There was so much shame in Jesus' death. He was stripped almost naked, exposed in front of so many people. He was mocked by the Roman guards. He was uh, there were people who walked by that hurled insults at him. He was put up on a cross, part of crucifixion. The reason the Romans liked it was it was such a, sh not only a painful way to die, it was a shameful way to die. Jesus died in shame, but his resurrection placed him up to glory. And now, as someone once said, people name their dogs Nero, and Caesar is just a salad. But Jesus, Jesus has had more songs sung to him, written about him in every language of the world. His biographies have been translated in nearly 3,000 different languages. He is the greatest person who ever lived, the most famous person. He outlived, now Rome, the Roman Empire is just a Netflix special. And in the Colosseum where Caesar used to sit on his throne and watch the Christians be torn apart by lions, a cross hangs in the archway there. Jesus' shame has been turned into glory. We also see through his resurrection, relationships reconciled. Jesus went to the people who had betrayed him. Right? He went to Peter, who had abandoned him and betrayed him three times and, and said, I don't even know him, three times. And Jesus gave him three times 
to say, I'm sorry, and to say, Jesus, I love you. He went right to his disciples, the ones who had abandoned him, and he made breakfast for them, which we go, oh, breakfast. It's like, no, in the Middle East and in many cultures still, to eat with someone is to welcome them. One of the first things Jesus did when he was raised from the dead was to go eat with his disciples, to say, hey, I forgive you. I love you. We are back together. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that love is forever and death is not. Right? We see that death did not have the final word in Jesus' story. And friends, think about this. This is all the stuff we long for when we're going through our pain and suffering. We long for healing in our body. We long for victory over evil, for evil to be exposed and proved and judged as wrong, right? For injustice to be exposed and convicted. We long for our shame to be turned into glory, for vindication. We long for the relationships that seem so broken, not just to be ignored or passed over, forgotten about, but to actually be reconciled and healed. And we long for our love for each other and for our loved ones to be stronger than death, to last longer than death. And so I just want to take another moment to stop and for us to have a, a chance to stare at, to tunnel in on, to magnify, to scrutinize the resurrection of Jesus, his story, our story, our resurrection as well. And just to, to think about this question, as you fix your eyes on Jesus' resurrection, what aspect of this do you need to see most in your own story? And those things that we see in Jesus' resurrection, you're just going to scroll through, ask yourself, what is it that I am longing to see in my own story?
perhaps we think that it's useless and empty and pointless <laughs> to hope for these things. Maybe because we've hoped for them and it hasn't happened and our hope has been crushed. But our hope is not based on positive thinking. Our hope is based on certainty that we have in Christ that in the end our story is good. Because we fix our eyes on the resurrection of Jesus, we tunnel in on it, we stare at it, we magnify it, we scrutinize it, and like the Apostle Paul, we say, hey, if we share in suffering like him, we will also share in his glory, in his life, in his victory, in his love. Friends, our hope is based on a fact. The certainty we have is based on the fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus and our own that will follow. And so I just have a couple things to leave with you. For some of you, you want this hope, but you've never realized that the way to get it is to put your hope in Jesus, to actually follow Jesus, to make him the center of your life, to make him the foundation of your life, to not only listen to his teaching and follow his life, but to share in his life to realize he's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good example of how to treat people and how to love others. His death and resurrection was for me. <laughs> in his death, I'm forgiven and set free. And in his resurrection, I too can say with certainty that one day I will look back on my story and I will see that the pain and suffering was temporary and it is over and now I have life. And so if that's you and you've never done that and you feel like, yeah, I want to do that. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism service where a number of people are going to get up in front of you and say, yeah, that's my story. I have put my hope in Christ. And if that's you, can I just invite you? You can just say a, a simple prayer under your breath, even right now, that goes something like, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I know that your death was for me. And I know that your resurrection is for me too. And I want to have the hope, both in this life and in the life to come, that my story is good. So come into my life and lead me. If you prayed that, um, that's, I would just love for you to tell somebody else. <laughs> it's a personal thing, but it's not private. You're meant to have a community to come around you and celebrate with you in that and help you walk this journey. And so I'd encourage you to talk to a friend, maybe someone who brought you or invited you or someone you know here or uh, one of your site pastors or me. And then for all of us, just a little gift of some wallpaper for your phone or your tablet or your desktop that you can scan. You can go to this QR code and scan it and grab it that will help you stare at, tunnel in on, magnify, scrutinize what we get, what we see in Jesus' resurrection to remember and rehearse that in the end, yes, this is my story too. Friends, this is the thing we can say to each other. There's a lot of things we don't want to quickly say to each other or say to each other at all in our trials and some of the empty things we've talked about. That, oh, God has a plan and every cloud has a silver lining or don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. We've talked in the past about how those things aren't always helpful and not even true. This is something we can say with certainty to each other. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't stop looking at him.
And that one day, we who have put our hope in him will be able to look back and the pain will be over. And in some way, we would even be able to say, my trouble, my trial, my suffering, it seems small. 